Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. We are actually broadcasting today from Elk Camp. And the funny thing about that is, is we are broadcasting from Texas. And uh, I'm here with Brad. So start off, let's get straight to it. The fact that we're elk hunting in Texas. Explain that a little bit to me. Because I know when you told me about that for the first spot, you're like, yeah, we're going to Texas. Like, huh? You know, everybody like says the same thing when they ask. You know, they always, we've been elk hunting for years at Primo's and traveling around and always try to find new places, new new things to do, new elk to, to hunt. And we're making new friends along the way. But when I first heard about this place, my friend Mike Williams invited me out here to go on a mule deer hunt in West Texas. We're in the Davis Mountains in West Texas. And I didn't know what to expect. And he said, there's a few elk here. Well, I was here mule deer hunting. And a lot of mule deer, and it was during the rifle season, about three, three or four years ago, and I saw elk everywhere. Like I saw a hundred elk one day, and uh, one big group had already gathered back up in, in big numbers after the rut. But anyway, so I tell people this: we're going to the West Texas to the Davis Mountains, and they're like, "Do what? Elk hunting?" And, and it's, this is free range. This is no high fence. Everybody wants to know: Are you going to a high fence place? Nope. Free range elk. These elk like were actually introduced. That they were here at way many years ago and then re- reintroduced in the seven, either late 60s or middle 70s. And um, they're really thriving and doing good. And the state of Texas does not recognize the elk as as a, as a native species. So all you have to have is a, uh, a $50 license and that they consider it like an exotic. So that being said, you don't have a limit. You don't have a season, which is kind of, kind of crazy to, yeah. to us i mean we're used to tagging elk right. and and you know to come out here and you can shoot one in june you can shoot one in december you can shoot one in march it doesn't matter yeah but based on the hunters that that, that respect the elk and and these places and these landowners in this part of the davis mountain these elk are protected and are thriving just like any elk herd in any state i've ever hunted mm-hmm. Well, that, that was one of the coolest things to me because when you told me about that, I did some research on it, you know, just because I was curious, me and Jordan, who came out here with us, both did. And the crazy thing to me is, one, that the elk are doing as well as they are, which I saw that when they got there. I mean, you know, it was, one, the country was beautiful, the elk are great, and it was, it's just so cool, like I said, that the, this, the, the elk herd is doing so well, like you said, because of the landowners and the hunters, because of how they're deciding to hunt them, they're deciding to manage the herd i mean like they said the the people who, who hunt out here they could kill all of them if they wanted to yep. and so you know i thought of it as you know especially when you get questions from people that don't hunt that much i mean i could see it from someone looking on the outside in when you when you don't know that much about hunting you're comparing hunting to conservation that people sometimes get a little confused like how are you conserving them you're hunting them that doesn't make any sense but that's a picture perfect example of it you know look and it's been proven many times over and over again hunters are the greatest conservations Absolutely. in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's because we care about the animals. We do harvest them, but as we, we grow older and hunting, more people hunt and understand animals, they're, they're doing things to to make the herds healthier, whether it's turkeys, whether it's whether it's deer, whether it's elk, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, we want them to thrive. Absolutely. And, and, and we by harvesting or taking the right animals in any herd, you're just, I mean, if you don't do it, Mother Nature's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And she's a whole lot more brutal on animals in a big way than, than we are. Right. She's going to take them all out at once, except very few, and they're going to pretty much start over. Right. CWD, I mean, stuff like that, uh, blue tongue, that's happened on, on, on deer and elk and other places. So it, it's it's a fun practice, and it's, it's one we all look forward to. And just such a success story 
and, and if you're not here and you can't really relate to the Davis Mountains and how pretty it is and it's to see the elk and to hear them bugling and to call them up like we did this week it was just it was just a great one it's actually a great way to end the elk season oh, you for said sure. what a great way to end for sure it was absolutely incredible let's well let's go into that too because so we were out here with uh the, i want to dissect those hunts because both of them were both of them were very different and they were so cool the way they happened and it's just so the first morning let's talk about that one with mike well it, typically we did this the same way we always do anywhere we go when it comes to calling you know mike williams was the hunter you and jordan were running camera and i was a caller and we always set up we use the terrain to our advantage calling sometimes we might be 75 yards behind the hunter sometimes we might be 200 yards mm-hmm. behind the terrain well we got out there that morning and it was really really windy and we, we would get to the in the polaris range we would get to the base of these saddles stop and we'd hike up and listen because that's the way the wind was and we got up there and actually got lucky and we spotted this bull Actually, before we heard him coming off one of those little sounds. Yeah, on that ridge. And, and so we just eased over there, and he was about to go over the ridge, and I made one call, and he turned and looked. And then I called again, and he, his whole body turned, and he started walking right at us. And that that particular setup, we did not know the exact terrain, so I was trying to bring him basically on the, let's just say, on the south side of Mike. Well, there was a big canyon in between us and him, so he mm-hmm. walked all just like us. They're going to take the easiest route, and they prefer to be even or higher when coming to right. other elk. Right. Because they don't want to be at a disadvantage mm-hmm. coming up most of the time. So, so anyway, that bull came around, and we had to do some some movement, and, and, and you guys did great. Actually, you started out filming Mike, and when it was all said and done, Jordan was the primary <laughs> guy filming Mike, too. Yeah. And I, I was dancing around them rocks, and I got as far as I could. Yeah, but we were all tied in the knot at the end of that one, I think, but it worked out. It worked out, and the bull came seven yards from Mike. Yeah. He made a perfect shot. Bull runs 50 yards and, um, you know, just falls just right there out of sight. And uh, it, it really was nice because it was morning time. We could get the ranger within 40, 50 yards, mm-hmm. so we quartered him up on the spot and got him out. Great, yeah. great first morning. Yeah, so let's uh, – take that apart a little bit like one thing i wanted to touch on like you said we set up not knowing the the country that well we set up like he would come straight down the hill and come up the hill to us but instead like you said he went kind of went up that drain More across side that hills, kind right. of what i was thinking he would right come. that's something to learn of too if you you know for someone that knows the terrain you know it more often than not like you said they're almost always going to take the, the easiest path or the path of least resistance right which it, it worked out for us because he walked behind some trees we were able to shift around and you know if you when you're looking at a setup course wind's primary if you don't have the wind right it, it it's just not going to work yeah, not even worth it but you know after you get figured the wind out and you're like do I sit here do I sit here I always tend to set up thinking that the elk's going to take the high road because mm-hmm. they, they don't always do it now but most of the time they do mm-hmm. and you won't go I, I don't think you hardly ever go wrong by setting up in that in that fashion so yeah another thing i wanted to ask you about is you know i've been just through primos the only elk hunting experience i've had been like four years not near as much as, as you or will or troy and so i always like to watch y'all that have more experience to kind of learn you know i'm always trying to pick up what y'all are doing and i thought it was really interesting in that situation you didn't bugle at all at that elk it was nothing but cow calls so kind of explain to me why why you did that in particularly well you know, you're getting out to at late in the year, um, and bugling sometimes works better than, than cow calling, or bugling with cow calls is a ticket a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But in that situation where I called twice, and he turned, and he started coming to us, and I called a couple more times, 
he just was responding so good to the cow calls. I didn't, I didn't want to take a chance on if he had been kicked off a herd, if he had been, right. added, you know, if he was tired toward the end of the rut. I just didn't see a, a need at that point in, in changing things up. Gotcha. He was liking the situation. He was marching to us. So if you got him coming, let him come. Yeah. If it ain't um, kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. But speaking of that, but also if you're looking, if you're you know hiking around and you're calling into canyons or draws or, or dark timber, a lot of times I like to bugle before a cow call. Really? Well, because they'll answer a bugle a lot of times. And won't come to it because elk are bugling, you know, this time of year all over, so they're used to hearing it. But they'll respond. Almost like locating a turkey with a crow call or something. Yeah, because if you make that cow call and you're not, you know, and he's close, chances are this time of year he's coming right away. Right. So you don't have time to figure out the situation or like with us making, um, producing TV shows and stuff. We it takes us a few minutes longer to get the situation set up, and we don't want them running in before we're ready. Right. Yeah. So. But but remember that if you you know if, if you're hunting on your own, locating with a cow call is fine because you basically you're set up and you can get ready. Correct. Forty five seconds or right. a minute. So but just just really pay attention, and it's hard to do because you get one bugling, he's responding, you get excited. Um, give you one example in Montana about being excited. I made a mistake this year on a bull. He, he was coming in thirty two yards. I got drawn back. I had one lane that he was going to walk through. And I had a call in my mouth. Of course, I'm excited. And um, I, when I called, I was so excited, I called too loud. Mm-hmm. And it spooked him. He didn't even look. Most of the time, they'll turn and look. And so remember that. You know, you got to call. Do it soft. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're excited or your mouth is dry because he's bugling and you, he's got you nervous, just use your voice. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't do that trying to call one, but they're looking for that sound, and they'll key into that. Actually, the bull I shot here in the Davis Mountains, I did it with my mouth because he was 10 yards. Yeah. And yeah. I was a little, I didn't want to. You didn't want to repeat. Yeah. I'll be excited. So. <laughs> um, yeah. so, like, speaking hypothetically, like, had, say that bull, he got to a certain point and he hung up, would you have bugled then or yes, would you? definitely. That's a good question. Um, You know, if they hang up, then, then you start trying stuff. Yeah. And see what they like and what they don't like. Right. Um, a lot of times you blow a cow call and respond with a young bugle, not a big, deep growl, chuckle. It was like a young They're whistling like, oh, or something. They're like, oh, no, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, there you go. And then right. that'll get them fired up, like, oh, somebody's moving in on my, my mm-hmm. turf. Right. Um, and sometimes I was in, in uh, southern Colorado with actually Mike and his son Kevin earlier this year, and a bull came in a meadow, and we are set up above him, and I would cow call, and he'd bugle, but he was just out there doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And I started bugling and challenging him, Act like another bull had moved in with those cows, and that's what it took to get him to run up that hill straight to us. Yeah, and and I really believe if I hadn't a bugle, he wouldn't have came. He just would have just. But I did not do that tool. I let him kind of dictate what you had to do. Yeah. See, that's I've I've noticed uh, you and Will both do that, and because he's kind of said that to me. We were in New Mexico, and he was before we even set up the calling elk. He was like, I've been watching him every time one of those little bulls comes in, he tries to run it off, so I'm gonna try to bugle at him. So it's it's and that was just like I said, me trying to learn. There's just so much more trying to analyze the situation instead of just I'm gonna cow call and bugle a couple of times. Just l- more of letting the elk dictate what you do. And I'm I always err on the side of caution when calling. Um, I like to start out easy and just see what's going on and not start out loud, you know, too loud. Mm-hmm. And, and think about the season. The first part of elk season when you're just hearing a few bugles early morning, late evening. That's kind of the way you want to be. You want to just you want to make calls. They'll respond, but you don't want to sound like a cow that's in the middle of the 
you know, the breeding cycle in is September 18th mm. on September 2nd. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I'm not saying you won't fool a bull or two like that, but the cows, the cows are the ones that right. that, that, that make it hard on you sometimes if they got a big bull with them. They'll take them and go they, away. They go because they know mm. that, nah, that ain't right. I've been here for the last six weeks, you know, in this basin feeding, and I ain't heard no mess like that. And right. I, that's just my thinking. Yeah. Um, so I'd rather be cautious based on the time of the year. Then as the rut starts and the bulls get louder and you start hearing cows, then I get louder. Right. You know, I'll follow their pattern. And then the peak of the rut, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that makes sense. sound like a cow because calves get separated from their mamas. So when you see calf elk by themselves and they'll go around, you know, they're looking because they got separated. Right. When you see that happening, you can get aggressive Mm because you got cows looking for calves. You got calves looking for cows. You got bulls bugling. And that's the fun time yeah. where you really can't mess up. Right. And that was, see, and it's especially, you know, doing like what we get to do. It it, it was cool because you can see the difference in that between here and then like when we were bow hunting in New Mexico, that's the time we were in. Up. Yeah. Oh, if, if you went in there and just mute a couple times, they was kind of, so, I mean, like when the one that. You get we, lost in the show. Right. The, the one Will caught in for me, he was breaking sticks and trees and mewing and bugling to get, I mean, if he, he wouldn't. sound like a party or where he right. wants to come get involved in. Heard excitement. <laughs> <Like> Will <laughs> and, calls it. And there again, I know you ask, why did I do that here in, in Texas? Because we're again, we're on the tail end of the rut. Even though I feel like the peak of the rut here is probably maybe seven to 10 days later than, say, in mm-hmm. southern Colorado, New Mexico, Montana, where we hunt. But it's still, these elk are slowing down. Right. And so you just want to be, I want to start out easy and then get loud. Right. I don't want to start out loud because once you spook them, it's over. Yeah. You start out conservative, you can work your way yeah. up to it. So that makes just sense. Just be conservative and pay attention. Let, let the elk tell you how and when and what. Makes sense for sure. So well, let's talk about your hunt. That was probably one of the cooler hunts <laughs> I've seen. This is the most worn out bull I've ever seen. It one is the furthest I have that I know for a fact that I have watched a bull come to, to cow calls. How far was it? Um, it was at least a half a mile. Um, I think Jordan might have said it might even be a mile. I, I think, been. yeah, I'm a, if I had to guess, I'd say more than half a mile. You know, the thing about here where we were, we could see him come down a hill. Mm-hmm. And we lost him because he crossed two big drainages coming to yeah, us. deep ones. I mean, you... Deep ones. And we're sitting there, and I'd call, and he'd be, and he's coming the whole time. And then... You know, you called some, you were running one camera, and then Mike, of course, was set up doing the, the, the main calling. And about half, about, about, we've been there 20, 30 minutes, and this bull, we lost sight of him down below us, maybe five or 600 yards. And all of a sudden, you know, he bugles 12 or 15 minutes later mm-hmm. at 60 yards. Well, right. that gap in there, I didn't know what was happening. None of us did. And we're like, man, why did it get quiet? I mean, I had called. You would call. Mike was calling. Mike even bugled one time because we had been there so long. He didn't know if he just lost interest or just, hung up or something. So he something. was trying. He was just trying, going through his tricks. But anyway, I tell you that. So it would have been easy to get up and move, thinking that he's not coming. Mm-hmm. Well, he was. He was coming up there, and I think he was so, breathing so hard from traveling so far. It was a chore for him to bugle. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. That I've, that's why I say the most worn out bull I've ever saw. I've never seen a bull that I could hear him breathing before I saw him. Because mm-hmm. he was, I mean, you could just hear him just huffing coming up that hill. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and when he came up there, his mouth was hanging open. He was just wore out. Wore out. And he finally caught his breath and bugled. And it, was, it was good. And he got brought, and that's one thing I want to mention here to, to, to bow hunters or gun hunters alike, is, you know, when we shoot out, you got to have the mindset that you're not going to shoot unless everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. Unless you get the right angle 
it's just so important. And then if you shoot an elk perfectly, they don't hardly ever run over 50 yards from the mm-hmm. And if you shoot one bad quarter to you, shoot them in the chest. People shoot them and, and get them like that. But so many times it's, it's tough. And you're, you know, I mean, an elk can go so far on mm-hmm. one alone. Right. And it's just not worth it. It's just not it, worth it. I think, like I've heard you say it before, you owe it to the animal. Owe it to the animal. And one trick that's helped me shooting any kind of animal with a bow is you you got to pay attention where your arrow enters because you don't want to hit him in the shoulder. But if you'll fo- if you'll do ninety percent of your focusing on where that arrow is going to exit, mm-hmm. it, it just makes your your consistency on shooting elk almost. If if you don't take crazy shots, makes right. it, it really makes it almost. Um, you know where bad shots don't happen if you're not shooting too far. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, but that was that was such a cool hunt. <laughs> there is, uh, and one element hunt that we don't run into that often. We run into it sometimes for video and hunts. <laughs> that we, oh, we, I, I didn't think you was going to go there, but I see we're going. You got to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, shoot that out, and man, we're because he came so far to us. Perfect picture, perfect hunt, like sitting in an auditorium on big high chair, you know, big high seats looking down and you're watching this beautiful show that, you know, that God created that's so special mm-hmm. to all of us people that spend time in the elk woods. Um, so I'm excited. My hands are shaking. I look at Jordan and he's, we do a fist bump and then all of a sudden he looks at me and said, I think I double punched. You're kidding. You're just messing with me. <laughs> and then he, come to find out he really did. Yeah. He, he videoed the hunt. He just didn't record it. <laughs> I knew it because I walked up because I was back there behind y'all running the second angle, and I walked up just to get. When I walked up, Jordan had this look on his face. He looked like a <laughs> he looked like a puppy that just gotten in trouble for. <laughs> so he yeah. just had this, um, and I was like, "What happened?" But it, you know. Well, look, look. He had a GoPro running as a secondary camera. You were videoing the hunt. We still had a great time. Oh yeah. And it, it, it it's actually. Looking back on it, it's funny. Oh, it it's, is it's funny. It's more fun now that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, the thing is, and I'm not being, you know, doing what I do, I'm not going to give, cut him, you know, I'm not going to give him any heck about it because knowing me, I, you know, I mean, same thing could happen to me tomorrow. I mean, it happens, but it's yeah. not, but, and like I said, it's funny. But hey, it's the truth. It's, we show everything the way it happens. We always yeah. have, you know, Will and, and uh, Cud, Ronnie Cud Strickland started that back in the in the 80s, and um, it, it, we sure had some fun along the way, and we just we tell it like it is. Yeah, for sure. So the last thing I want to talk to you about today, um, just because I noticed it in in the hunt with yours here, and then I'd watched it. I wasn't in Colorado with you, but I saw that footage. Both elk you shot in Colorado and here, you had to draw back while there was no obstructions between you and the elk. Right. And so I kind of want to ask you about that because that's something you see people make mistakes like that. You know, as far as booger and elk when he's coming in or or you see them, you know, just, there are a lot of mistakes made there when you're trying to draw back. And so that was, I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what do you usually go through or what did you do in those two particular instances while they were right there, you know? You know, drawing your bow is the, other than shot placement, it is the most critical part of, mm-hmm. of getting a shot at it. If I can draw back, you know, I try to figure out where they're coming. And I'm thinking about that before I ever see the help. Okay, how's this going to play out? Mm-hmm. And try to have somewhat of an idea what my, you know, what I'm going to do. So ideally, you want a tree to draw behind. But that don't always happen, or a bush, or a, a cedar bush. But the bull in Colorado, he all of a sudden he, we saw legs, and he was facing us, and he come off a little hill in this little meadow we were set up on. Well, he come out in the wide open, and I'm kind of behind a tree. I'm like beside a tree, mm-hmm. so like 
picture this, you know, the bull's out in front of me. My left shoulder is kind of behind this pine tree. So, you know, half of my body is right. behind it, but the, my draw half, I mean, the, the, if I'm right-handed, is, is open. Right. You don't want to you don't want to hang yourself behind stuff and get home. No, yeah. But anyway, that bull, I watch, I, I like to let them focus on something because when they come in, they're keyed up and they're looking for that cow they're hearing or that bull. So they're really focused. So even if you can see their eye, if their eye is looking a little bit away from you, whether it's, no matter where they're, it's your right or your left, you got to get, if they're focused on a little something that you know is not you, then I, then I'm not scared to draw right. at that point. Right. And I don't shoot a lot of pounds. I shoot 61 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I can draw my bow back really smooth without having to raise it up. And I can just bring it straight back. And the only thing is moving, obviously, is my draw arm. Right. And I tuck my elbow but kind of behind yeah. my bow. Right. And so I try to keep all that motion to a minimum. Yeah. And it, it, it works good if you, as long as you watch that elk's eye. Yeah. The one here in, um, in West Texas... Jordan and I were in the shade, and the yeah. sun was bright. Yeah, shadows are such. So a huge I'm in the shadow, so I had more confidence in in drawing in. Mm-hmm. And as long as he don't hear you, and you tie, and, and I let him get, you know, almost even with me, kind of focused up to here before I started drawing. Right. If I'd have tried to draw on his walking at us, no doubt he would have busted us. Oh yeah. So I let him get to where he's thinking. Focused on something. Focused. Hundred yards behind yeah. somebody. That's so yeah. You just gotta. I think the biggest thing that helped me is thinking it through before you get surprised yeah well and I th- that's such valuable information too because I mean like I've seen that you see people do it they and they just get excited and they just try to rip their bow back and something happens they help boogers they don't get a shot or, or that kind and of thing sometimes I mean being able to draw your bow fast like if an elk walks behind a, a tree the minute that eye goes behind something if you can get your bow back and one fluid, smooth, fast motion mm-hmm. before that eye comes back out you're good yeah well, see because I learned that from you you, you you remember the first elk I ever filmed you shoot in New Mexico. Mexico yeah. So I and at this point I had like zero elk hunting experience at all. If you remember, it's funny now, is because the elk was still, I mean he wasn't even, I mean he was still 30, 40, 30 yards away, uh, and you drew back, and for me he was behind a bush, and I started going no, no, no. Yeah. I was trying to take because I was thinking, but I didn't know it. But what you were doing is he was behind that bush for you, so you went ahead and drew back. And he, and you also got to watch him if they're coming in slow. You don't want to draw when he's out there at 40, 50 mm-hmm. yards. And you're trying to let him get to a 20-yard spot to shoot because it might take him mm-hmm. a minute or two. Yeah. But if they're on a steady march coming into those calls, go ahead and draw and let right. them walk in. Because that's what – your spot. When I say that is because when I said I learned that from you, is that, that elk I shot this year, before when I saw him coming, there was an old broken-off tree stump. And I saw him and he was steady walking. I said, as soon as his head goes by that tree stump, oh. I drew him back and never knew I was in the world. It's, it's something else I like to do and tell people is, you know, when you draw – Go ahead and, and, and draw and aim your bow at that elk mm-hmm. and follow him. If he's moving and you're moving, follow him, he'll never see it. Right. But, you know, if he stops and you're aiming, so you, so you got a shooting lane that you, you hope you can shoot in that's 10 yards in front of him and he stops and looks at you and you have to swing your bow, you know, a foot to the left mm-hmm. to be able to shoot, he's going to see that enough time for every time. Burger, yeah. But just keep your bow on him and just put that pin on just on the on the on the elk and just fall until he gets to your spot until right. you get that right angle and he'll mm-hmm. never see you. Awesome. Yeah. It was invaluable information. 
Well, I, won't, I don't think we're going to eat up any more of your time. Me and Jordan are actually about to roll out. We well, are leaving today, too, I we're think. We're leaving today. Mark Headed back to Mississippi. So, right. Be chasing them whitetails here in a week. It's about that time. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> hey, I, ha- I do have one more elk hunt left. It took me 19 years to draw a Nevada elk tag. Mm. And I drew it this year, so you and I are going. It's a, it's a rifle hunt. But yeah. We're going, I think it's November 6th. We're headed to... For one last elk hunt. It won't be rut time, but we get one more elk hunt. It's going to be fun. I've been looking forward to that. I always <laughs> like hunting new states. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, anyhow, so yeah, we're going to hit the road. So thank you all for listening. That's all the time we have for today. And as always, if you have any questions, send them in. And thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.